Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd, I'm the Digital Media Editor at Heart. And today I'm delighted to be on location in Manchester, England at the British Cardiovascular Society meeting 2018. And for this episode I'm joined by Dr. Rohin Francis, who is a social media expert. And he's going to explain to us all about the pitfalls, perils, but also massive benefits of social media for doctors. Rowan, could you introduce yourself for the podcast and tell the people out there what you do and where you work and uh, what your interest is? Hi there, James. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm an interventional trainee from uh, East of England Deanery from, from Papworth, uh, but I'm doing a PhD down in UCL at the moment out of program. And uh, I'm here today uh, because of a slightly accidental interest in, in social media. Um, I'm the digital committee trainee rep for the BCS and also um, part of the Heart uh, digital media team uh, uh, involved with with the Heart Journal's social media accounts. Um, And what I'm talking about at at BCS this uh, year is how social media can be beneficial to cardiologists. And what in particular is it about social media, Rohin, that you find interesting and useful as a trainee? Um, well, as I said, it was slightly accidental. I, I kind of um, stumbled into it. I wasn't even on Facebook or Twitter prior to the junior doctor's contract debacle. And, and I realized when everything was happening that uh, times had changed and now that social media was the way that news was being disseminated. And um, traditional media uh, websites like doctors.net.uk, where I used to get my news about my career, just um, didn't really have much at all. So I signed up. Um, I quickly became quite bored of the politics, actually. But I, by then, I discovered how powerful a tool Twitter, in particular, can be for from a career's point of view. Um, so I, I've, uh, I think there are the three main areas where sh- social media can really benefit um, trainees, uh, consultants, clinicians of all uh, stages is um, uh, clinical learning, um, research, and uh, professional development. Okay, and perhaps we could. Uh take each one of those in turn. Why don't you start off with the thing that you perhaps use it for most? Um, probably, I'd say the most day-to-day benefit is, is from um, just clinical learning, particularly for someone like me who's out of program. It's a great way to keep in touch with cases and, and discussions with, with colleagues. Um, so I think all, all of the points I'm mentioning today can be applied to any social media platform. And it's worth mentioning that there are lots of different ones. I'm not singling out Twitter, although I think that has been most beneficial to me. Shall we just quickly mention the other ones that you, I know you are a presence on on YouTube where you do really interesting, excellent educational videos around healthcare and science aimed, I guess, more at the general public than other medically qualified people. And you have a nice following on on Twitter. How did you get into Twitter? Uh, What was the thing that first attracted you there? Like I said, it was it was really just um, a means to an end to try and find out uh, whether any of us would have a job or get paid when all this uh, contract uh, stuff was happening. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I realized that actually it's a great way to keep in touch with people all over the country that you know, and also develop new networks. Um, okay, and we're at a conference right now, the British Cardiovascular Society Conference 2018. And that's got a hashtag, uh, hashtag BCS2018. 
Why is a hashtag important for a conference and how do you use it perhaps if you're not here in person? Hashtags are something used in uh, Twitter in particular, but various different social media platforms. Um, If a post is tagged with a specific hashtag, anyone searching for that hashtag will be able to see it. Uh, So this is a great way to get started because obviously when you're new to any of these platforms, you may not have built up that network of um, followers and and contacts. So um, you can interact, say, with the BCS 2018 hashtag. If you're here, you may be able to um, check online and and benefit from sessions that you're not able to attend. If you're not here, then uh, I think uh, social media has really revolutionized how medical conferences are digested because their reach is now far beyond the number of delegates who can attend. And um, you'd be able to to check the hashtag from anywhere in the world. And and, uh, obviously you won't be getting the entire content of the conference, but you'll uh, be getting sort of uh, the the take-home messages and um, be able to see slides and and some of the discussion that's taking place. Mm. I think a good example of that, and one that you uh, highlighted in your talk here at BCS, is the Orbiter trial. Uh, the Orbiter hashtag uh, really had millions and millions of impressions uh, as the trial broke uh, several months ago. And then since then, there's been ongoing peer review, if you like to call it that, in the in the Twitter sphere. Um, I think that, to me, was the first time that a, a clinical trial really caught fire on Twitter. And we had the authors of the trial. We had critics of the trial wading in. Uh, we had proponents of, of the science. And on both sides, you, I think you were able to get a reasonably balanced view uh, of of the science and certainly as a non-interventional cardiologist I found it incredibly fascinating the way that this could could happen and in fact I think the traditional journals then caught up with the discussion that had happened online because several of the authors and critics of that study then wrote editorials in uh, in different journals which kind of summarized the discussion that had happened online have you seen that in any other studies or do you think Orbiter is the the one that's really caught the imagination of people I think or- Orbiter really has been uh, the greatest demonstration of, of the impact of social media, without doubt. Um, perhaps if Courage had come out during the era of social media, it would have been uh, mm. uh, similarly discussed. But uh, uh, again, um, as, a, as a trainee, uh, I found it immensely beneficial to hear all sides of the argument. And as you said, um, the lead author and the senior author were both um, active on Twitter, particularly um, the senior author, Daryl Francis, has been um, really... Uh, able to directly answer uh, questions about the trial. Um, some of those were critical, some of those were uh, praising it, and it was really healthy discussion. Um, I think, uh, as you said, there, were, there, were, there was huge interest in not just um, from clinicians, but uh, from the media at mm. large. And um, there's been something like uh, 65,000 tweets about Orbiter. Wow. Um, so... It, yeah, it's really been huge. And um, uh, what I think, uh, as you mentioned, sort of editorials and, and letters to journals, that used to be the traditional way that um, these sorts of trials were discussed. And really then you're seeing maybe just a, a three or four opinions in each issue of a journal. And often quite a few months after the the, the trial is released. Exactly. Um, whereas with uh, social media, you, you can see reactions within hours and you can see a vast range of uh, opinions as well. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, Orbiter was a great demonstration of, of how uh, research is not only disseminated via social media, but digested as well. Okay. 
And let's move on to uh, another platform, YouTube. Uh, I also am a, a big fan of YouTube for both medical and non-medical uh, reasons. Uh, where would somebody uh, who was naive uh, as far as social media goes, what kind of value might they get from YouTube uh, in terms of uh, medical education? Um, I think YouTube is a, is a fantastic resource. I think it's as of yet a bit untapped from a cardiology point of view. Um, you, you mentioned uh, I'd started a channel which, which is uh, pretty new, uh, but I found it very re rewarding trying to create uh, video content. Um, as you said, it's kind of more aimed at uh, the general public, someone with an interest in science and, and medicine. Um, there are more dedicated cardiology channels as well, um, but from a wider medical edu education point of view, there are a, there's a lot of content and really high quality. Um, so what we've seen in uh, teaching in general, is is uh, YouTube has really changed the landscape of how students at all levels are learning, and face-to-face uh, -face teaching can now be more interactive and less didactic, and you can get a lot of the um, sort of bread and butter information on with with video content, online content. So I think YouTube is a great uh, has got great potential, and I think as cardiologists we we need to embrace it a bit more. So far. Uh, there, there are some some really good videos out there about echocardiography, cardiac MRI, but they tend to be just a video of a presentation or um, a sort of video of a, a few loops with with no narration, just a bit of text. And I think um, uh, it's it's uh, an opportunity waiting to happen. Mm. What inspired you to start making your own videos, Rohan? I th I think uh, I've always had an interest in. In video making, I, I kind of wish I'd started um, a bit earlier. Um, so um, it just seemed like a, a fun uh, side project. It's just a bit of a hobby. I'm not intending to to make any money out of it or get any fame. It's just uh, just a bit of an interest. Brilliant. Well, they're certainly doing very well. Um, in terms of the, uh, I guess the the dark side, should we say, of social media uh, for doctors, in particular, the dangers. Uh, we do hear of people uh, getting into trouble. Of course, one thing you shouldn't do is put clearly identifiable patient data uh, online, uh, and that can be an issue. And there are some dedicated social media platforms out there that are aimed at, at medical discussion. Do you have any, any views on that, and how do you manage to, to stay safe online, as it were? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think the situation we're in now is that a lot of guidelines have not caught up to the digital age. Um, so very few hospitals actually have dedicated social media guidelines. I think if you're considering posting cases, um, it's always worth checking if your hospital has specific guidelines, first of all. And I think it's good practice to ask a patient for their permission. However, that's not always possible. Um, and then we're left in a scenario where you've got a case that you, you feel would be beneficial to share. Uh, first of all, you know, check your motivation for sharing. If it if it's just to, to entertain or to show off, I, I'd, I'd think again. But if there's a teaching point to be made, then a fully anonymized scan or an angio, for example, with a fictionalized patient history, I don't think there's any need to keep the history the same. These are the kinds of things that get recognized. You can just change the history entirely with, with the same learning points. Then my personal feeling is that... Um, it's difficult to, to, it would be difficult to criticize that if it's clearly for an educational purpose. However, we are in a bit of a, a gray area at the moment. So I think the, the golden uh, lessons are 
um, nothing identifiable at all. And that doesn't just mean date of birth or name, but history, scenarios. I think I'd really avoid contemporaneous um, posting. And I've seen some of the ambulance services doing this, which I think is really asking for trouble. You know, we've just attended the house of a 52-year-old man with chest pain. I think that that's a bad idea. So leave leave it a few weeks. But but I think there is huge value um, sharing a case with, with these sort of sensible precautions taken. And um, what Twitter offers is a, a real flattening of, of the hierarchy. Um, I'm able to interact with preeminent professors and attendings and consultants from various countries in the world uh, talking about cases or research, which is an opportunity that I just wouldn't have otherwise. And um, for the most part, everybody is, is really happy to, to talk to anybody else. Um, so I think that's one of its great strengths. And finally, we have to talk about podcasts. This seems kind of slightly inception or metery. We're talking about the Heart Podcast on the Heart Podcast. But are there any uh, recommendations, obviously, are caught, uh, apart from the Heart Podcast, for people uh, that you uh, listen to regularly? They can be non-medical. Any anything you particularly enjoy? Um, sure. I, I'll start by saying, and, and you haven't uh, asked me to say this, but uh, and I'm not involved with the Heart Podcast in any way, so this is this is uh, an honest opinion. But I think it really does stand out as a source of um, uh, clinical learning that keeps me up to date, and and I find. That from a medical point of view, the Heart Podcast is the one that I only, the only one I listen to regularly. Um, there are quite a few of the other journals do have a podcast. They tend to be just a sort of uh, headline summary of things in the in the issue, um, which is useful and and that's a good way to keep up with trials. Although I find that I can do the same just by browsing Twitter. And I think podcasts which explore a, a, a theme in a bit more detail. Um, are the much more interesting ones. Um, outside medicine, uh, there, there's a, a, a sort of science comedy podcast I'm a big fan of called Science-ish, um, uh, which takes a, a humorous look at uh, sci-fi and, and the science involved in films and, and books. The Naked Scientist podcast uh, from, from Cambridge, which I know you uh, know the team well, is, is also really great. Um, and the Guardian Science Weekly podcast is, a, is another good one. Uh, but there's, there's a huge range out there. Um, the medical podcast scene is really dominated by emergency medicine and, and critical care. Um, and as I've got further from uh, doing that, uh, which I used to as a sort of core trainee or a, an early registrar, and I'm more subspecialized now, I, I don't listen to as often, but there is really fantastic high quality content out there. And again, I think cardiology really hasn't embraced this yet. Um, I think we are now a, a good presence on on social media, um, but from these different types of media, as I was saying, video and, and podcasts, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity and, and hopefully it will be embraced. Brilliant. Well, I think we'll leave it there, Rohin, let you go back to the conference. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, we will put links to some of the things that we've discussed in the show notes so listeners can go and uh, find out for themselves. Thank you very much. Thank you.